People say, well, but did meat taste sweet? And I know for Muslims, you know, Muslims, especially people who have grown up as Muslims, who have never eaten pork, of course they think, ah, it's horrible, nasty, so-and-so. But I know. I was not born a Muslim in a Muslim family. I grew up, I ate pork, and I enjoyed it. Okay? I must say, you know. So, but the, the point, though, is that not everything which tastes good is good. You see, because it tastes good to us, it doesn't mean it's necessarily good. There are poisons, there are poisons around which if you drink it, it's sweet, but it will kill you. So just because it tastes good doesn't mean it is good. You see, and somebody may ask, well, why did God make the pig then? This life, we see, everything is interconnected. Everything has a role. And if you observe the habits of the pig, if you let the pig live a normal life, right? No, you don't put him away in a special pen, but you just let him move around. You find that he will eat garbage. He will eat anything, whether it is vegetable, whether it is, it is uh, animal matter, you know, the garbage, feces, anything the pig eats. So what you have in the pig is a garbage collector. He's collecting garbage. He can remove the garbage for you. And just the same way if somebody invited you to go follow the garbage collector, you know, the big truck now, and say, let's go eat a meal from this garbage uh, truck. You say, ah, same thing. The pig had a role. Same thing with the fly. The fly has a role. You're going to eat the fly? No. The fly has a role in this world. Though it's annoying to us, we like to kill them and everything else, but the flies have a role. Because when a person... Or when, when animal matter dies, the fly lays its eggs in it, the eggs eat it up, break it down. This is part of that process of uh, decomposition of matter and so on. So the fly has a role, but we don't have to eat the fly. Similarly, the pig has a role, but we don't have to eat him. There is harm in him that we don't know about. We, some of it we know about, and some of it we may find out 10 years from now or 50 years from now. But because we are people who believe in God, and believe in the wisdom of God, we believe and submit, and we don't eat pork. Okay? Any other questions? Please don't be shy. I know you have a lot of questions. Okay, you know, I gave you the chance, I'll have to go to this side, see who has a question here now. Well, if a person doesn't want to think, if a person doesn't want to think, then no matter what you say, you will not be able to convince them. You know, it's like the case 
of Prophet Abraham mentioned in the Quran and also mentioned in the Bible where his father made idols and he broke the idols to show his father and the people that the idols could not possibly be God. But the people rejected what he had to say. They couldn't, they didn't want to take his advice. They didn't want to find the truth. They preferred to go on the way that their parents, their grandparents were doing. You know, this is the way of ignorance. And such people, people who feel, well, this is what my parents did, this is what I've been doing all my life, I don't care whatever, any, anything anybody says. Such a person is a person who has put their hands over their eyes, fingers in their ears, and they will end up in hell by their own choice. But reasonably, logically speaking, a person can be shown, uh, as I explained to you before, that if somebody else, those who are worshipping this stone idol and not another stone idol, I mean, they can be questioned as to why they worship this one and not that one. And if the person says, well, this one is the better God, you know, how you, how you know that this is the better God? This one is following... This. You know, you can start to show them that each person was taken some of these gods. Everybody feels that their God is the better God. But in fact, Somebody made that God. Somebody made the God with their own hands. You know. And it is not that particular God that is answering their prayers. Because if you take away the God and they pray, it is still answered. Prayers are still answered without actually doing these acts in front of this physical God. So, I mean, there's a number of uh, different things you can show them concerning uh, the idols that they may worship. However, as I said, if a person is not willing to, to reflect and to think, then no matter what you show, they will not accept. Well, you see, this idea of concentration is against Islam in that God is accessible to every man. And once you put something in between man and God, then though you may be theoretically and philosophically using this as an intermediary, practically you are worshipping that thing. Practically speaking. But who gave him the authority to concentrate on this? And when he is concentrating on this, he is saying that it's wrong to concentrate on that. You see, I mean, he is, this is of his own making. This is not from God. God did not give him this 
to concentrate on. And when you look in terms of these gods that they concentrate on, right? And I would, you know, just like to mention in particular Hindus. Hindus who have as their holy city Banaras. And in Banaras, the main god who is worshipped is Shifa. And Shiva is represented in a form called Lingam. And Lingam is a representation of a man's sexual organ. Eight hundred million people focusing their worship on a man's sexual organ. This is ignorance. This is ignorance. This is not from God. God didn't tell anybody to worship him in this fashion. And all you have to do is go from place to place and find similar states of ignorance. This concept of concentration, this concentration is idol worship in its essence. There is a rationale, as you expressed, and that rationale is provided by Satan. Satan makes the worship of God's creation appealing to man by rationalizing for him. You're not really worshipping this stone. You're not really worshipping this cow or this tree. You're really worshipping God. But concentrate it in this cow or this tree. And so you end up worshipping the cow and the tree. But this is not from God. This is idolatry. And this is the greatest sin that a man can commit. And the message of the prophets was that God is accessible to everyone. Man only has to turn to God in prayer and he will answer his prayer. He, God hears him. See, when man makes God like man, this is when these kind of rationales become acceptable. Because a person will tell you, listen, if you want to get uh, a holiday early and you need to speak to the mudir, the head of the hospital. Now you can't just go walking, banging on the door of the mudir's office, you come and tell him, listen, I want to get a holiday. No. You go to your supervisor. You tell your supervisor who goes and tells somebody else for you and then they speak to the mudir, they get the okay and then you get it done. Intermediaries. In this world, to get things done, we need intermediaries. But this is the world of man. This is not God. God is unique. He is different. He does not need intermediaries. So when we think of God in terms of ourselves, yes, then these ideas start to make sense to us. But when we come to the realization that God is not like man, the things which govern man in his dealings is not the way it is with God, then this becomes nonsensical. And the falsehood of it becomes obvious.
Sure. Uh, what we have to what we have to uh, realize is that God made different creations with different purposes and different abilities. According to the correct teachings, the angels who were created, they only they only do good. Angels cannot disobey God. They are commanded and they do what God commands them to do. That is one creation. But man is different. God gave man a choice between good and evil. If he had wished, he could have not given him a choice. And then he would have been like the angel, another creation. You see? So it was the choice of God. And then if you ask, why did God choose to give man a no? Now you're entering into the realm of God. If you can understand God, then you become on the same level as God. You see, like man, when he understands how a tree functions, then he's able to make the tree bear fruit when he wants it to bear fruit, or grow this way, or that shape, or he's able to manipulate it. He becomes greater than it when he understands the workings of it. But for us, in relationship to God, our knowledge stops at a certain point. I mean, I'm not talking about a divine secret like some people say, well, you know, the Trinity is divine secret. Okay, your mind stops here. No, I don't mean like this. Because the, the, the Trinity is illogical. When you say one plus one plus one equals one, this is illogical. That equals three. But when we say, why does man do good and does evil? It is because God has given him a choice. Why God gave him a choice? This is based on why he decided to create man. Why did God decide to create man? He doesn't have a need for man. Some people say, well, he created man because he wanted somebody to worship him. No, no. God has no need. That's what makes him God. He chose to create man. We do things out of a need. Man, when you uh, make, when man makes a car, he makes it out of a need to, for transportation. Makes a plane, same thing. He makes clothes. He does things out of need. God does not do things out of need. He created man because he chose, he wished to create man. Why he wished? You can't go there. <laughs> you understand? You can't go there. There's a point where our knowledge has to stop. Because if we can understand why God wished them, we're like God. If we can understand on that level, we're God. We're equivalent. We're on the same level of God. Wishing as God wished. We can understand why he wished. We can wish as he wished. But we do things out of need. Our knowledge stops at the point of what he has given us. What he has informed us is that whenever he wishes a thing to be, he says be, and it is. He wished that this creation be, and it was. He wished that man have a choice between good and evil, that angels have no choice between good and evil, and we were. What we have to deal with is the choice that we have been given. What do we do with the choice? 
obey God and choose the right, the good, or disobey God and choose evil. He has informed us, not only do we have the choice, but that those who obey him and do good will receive better at the end of this short life. And those who disobey him and do evil will receive the worst that they can imagine at the end of this life. So we have to decide what do we want. Is it just the things of this life that we want, which is short, it's going to be over at any time? We don't know when it's going to be over. Or do we want that everlasting life to, that comes afterwards to be one of good for ourselves? So we make our choices accordingly. Well, this is a common misconception that Islam was spread by the sword. But if we are to look, for example, most of our guests here are from Philippines, and we look to see how did Islam come to the Philippines. Islam came to the Philippines through traders, through trade. People were not forced by swords and knives to become Muslims. The people became Muslims. After Magellan and the others came, then we have force. We have wars being fought and people being forced to become Christians. So historically, if we look to see who was doing the forcing with the sword, it was the Christians. In fact, when Muslims conquered Spain at the invitation of some of the oppressed Spaniards, Christians, Jews, and Muslims lived side by side. The, major, the vast majority of Christians of Spain did not become Muslims. Many of them did, but not all. They were not forced. If it was forced, then they all would have become Muslims. But when the French and the Spanish came back into Spain, and they reconquered Spain, they drove every single Muslim out of Spain, and they set up the Inquisition courts where any single Spaniard who had the idea of one God was put to the stake, burnt alive, forced to recant and give up these beliefs. The Crusades were not begun by Muslims. It was European, uh, Italian, French, you know, Austrian, British, who got together and decided that they wanted to free the Holy Land. Why free the Holy Land? Muslims, Christians, Jews were living side by side comfortably. They had their churches, each one worshipping. It was under Muslim administration and had been for hundreds of years, but the Christians were not being oppressed there. When the Crusaders came in, and this is what you can read from your own history books, this is not the history Muslims tell, this is the history told by Western historians. When the Christians came into the region we now know as Palestine, they massacred the Muslims, the Jews, and the Christians who were there. 
because the Christians who were there did not belong to the Roman Catholic uh, sect. So they were massacred along. So it wasn't about liberating the Holy Land. And they're the ones who came with the sword, massacring people. So it is really a very false picture. When we look at Indonesia being the largest Muslim country in the world, 150 million Muslims, not a single Muslim soldier went to Indonesia. True, there were battles. No one is saying there were no battles. When Islam expanded from out of Arabia into what is now known as Palestine, into, into uh, uh, Egypt, North Africa, the Roman Empire was there, the Persian Empire was there. But the peoples of these empires were under huge terrible taxation, they were under oppression, they were begging Muslims to come, to liberate them, and they were liberated, they were not forced to become Muslims. India, which was ruled by Muslims for some 500, 600 years, the vast majority of Indians are not Muslims. There's 100 million Muslims, some 800 million Hindus and Jains and Buddhists and everybody else. So if Islam was by the sword and forcing everybody to accept Islam, India would be all Muslims today. But that's not the case. It was not forced because in the very essence of the teachings of Islam, there is no compulsion in religion. One cannot force somebody to submit to the will of God. That is the individual choice that that person has to make. So that uh, claim or that accusation which has been leveled at Islam is a false one which came out of the time of the Crusades and which has been passed on, you know, in books and, and uh, movies and etc., you know, over the, over the uh, years. But it is definitely, when one goes back and looks at the history of the spread of Islam and the confrontations between Islam and Christianity, we find that the sword was really in the hands of the Christians and not so much in the hands of Sure, you have some questions. What's happening? I said, don't be shy. Just you know, ask whatever is on your mind. Don't feel that your question is going to be silly. Because I know sometimes people feel shy that they ask a question. Everybody laughed. Like our sister asked one question just a little while ago. Everybody sort of snickered. And said, no, it's a very wise question. She asked. It's something that comes across people's minds. Why not ask? Think. Reflect. You know. This is an open discussion, so please ask. It is a service to you. It is nothing that we're trying to push on you, but we're offering you a service. If you have a question and you have questions, ask them. You have something else in the back? For a person to become a Muslim, it requires only one thing. It's a declaration of faith. The person, this is considered, Islam 
is, is based on five pillars. And this is according to the teachings of the Prophet. And this is the same wherever you are in the world. When a person decides and accepts the idea that God is one, is the only true God, one God, who is not manifest in his creation, is not in Trinity or having sons or mothers or uncles and you know all these other things, but just one God, that's the first step. The second step is accepting Muhammad, may God's peace and blessings be upon him, as the last of the prophets. And when you accept him, it means accepting Jesus also as a prophet, accepting Moses and Abraham and all of the prophets of God. When a person accepts, makes that declaration, they decide that this, they accept this, and they say this in front of any other Muslim, then that makes them a Muslim. That's it. Very simple. But following that, what you find, because in Islam, it is not just a question of what we may call faith. Because faith can sometimes be confused with knowledge. You may have the knowledge of something, but not really have faith in it, not really believe in it. You see, and true faith will get you to paradise, whereas knowledge can take you to hell. Because Satan, in our belief, was very knowledgeable about God and about what the religion of God is, etc. But Satan is the greatest enemy of man the most evil being in creation. So that knowledge was not translated into faith. So what you find is that though the first pillar of Islam is declaration of faith, the next four pillars are all acts that a Muslim has to do to prove his faith, to put his faith into action, to make it a living faith. So when a person makes that declaration after that, then he must start to pray five times a day. Minimum, not maximum. Worshipping God is something you do as much as you can. But the minimum should be five times a day. And praying five times a day is really to organize our day around the worship of God, around the remembrance of God. So when you get up in the morning, you're not getting up so you can take your shower, eat your meal, prepare yourself to go and work, to deal with your material needs. You get up in the morning first to remember God, to worship God. After that, then you eat, you wash, etc., and you go to work. When you break at midday, it's not breaking for lunch to put more food in your stomach so you can have energy to keep working the rest of the day. No, you break first to remember God to worship God. Then you put some, because we are both spiritual and material. But our spiritual side is more important than our material side. So we have to give precedence to our duty to God over our duty to our physical being. But we don't neglect one or the other. We have to do both. But we have to decide which one is first. First is God our spiritual side, our duty to God. So, in that way, when you go through the day, what happens? The day is divided up into five parts, and it is to help man 
organize the day as a whole around the remembrance of God because we believe that when one remembers God, one is righteous. One has a good chance to be righteous. When one forgets God, then one becomes evil. This is when you choose that evil path. You put God out of your mind, then you can do anything. But if God's in your mind, you remember God's watching you, you're going to be accountable for exactly what you do, you think twice. Do I want to have to stand before God and deal with this? Better I don't. So that's the idea. Same thing with fasting. Fasting in the month of Ramadan, the other principle. This is, for, for, for 30 days, the fast is a complete fast. Not giving up meat or giving up something. It's giving up food and giving up sexual relations. For, for the daylight hours of the ninth month of the lunar year. And that is to give man control over himself. The human being is driven by the desire for food and the desire for sexual relations. When you look at crimes in society, they're always around these two factors. These are the main two things which drive people to commit crimes, to steal. So fasting is there to give us control, help us to control these desires so that we do not let our desires run away with us and we break the bounds that God has set for us, disobey God. And at the same time, when we fast, we get an opportunity to feel hunger. To feel hunger. What is hunger? So that we can appreciate the situation of the many peoples in the world who are hungry not by choice. They're hungry not by their choice but by the destiny of God. That is why they're in that state. And by God's destiny, we have food and we're not hungry. But that food that we have, the blessing which God has given us, we have a duty to be generous to those who are in need. So that hunger there is also to remind us of the needs of others and that would make us want to be generous and to share what we have with others. And zakah, which is the compulsory charity, which every Muslim who has savings, not the monies that they earn on a monthly basis, but when a person has savings, which they have kept in a bank or whatever, over a period of a year, over and above their needs, then they must give 2.5% of it, not to the priest or the minister, but to a poor person. And that is to teach man that the wealth that he has or she has is not something which is theirs to do with as they please. It is something which God has given as a trust. A trust. Which they are responsible for. Which they will be asked about. How did they use it? And they have to share some of what they have with those who are in need. And the last pillar, Hajj, the pilgrimage to Mecca, this is a commemoration of the religion of God. The religion which calls to the worship of the one God. In the pictures that you see of Mecca, you see a black 
square object. It's called the Kaaba. Kaaba means cube. This black square object, some people mistakenly think that Muslims bow down and pray to this object. But what is this object? The object is actually a place of worship. It was the place of worship built by Prophet Abraham and his son Ishmael after he had taken Hagar and Ishmael as a child to the valley of Mecca. When he grew up, Prophet Abraham built this house of worship there. This is the first house of worship dedicated to the worship of the one God. So it forms the place where Muslims come to perform rites of worship. It, for, it is the focal point of worship in the sense that it is a direction, not that people are worshiping the object, but it is the direction in which to play, pray for organizational purposes, just as in the Old Testament, Jews were commanded to pray in the direction of the Temple of Solomon. The Kaaba becomes the direction of worship. Mosques are turned in that direction. When people stand to pray, they all pray in that direction. And every Muslim is encouraged once in a lifetime, if they are able, they are economically or physically able to come and perform rites of worship which were begun by Prophet Abraham there in Mecca. And that is the last of what are called the pillars of Islam. But the first step is the declaration of faith. When a person declares faith, they become a Muslim. That's something anybody, you know, for example, if you felt that way and you stood up now and you said that, we all accept you right away as a Muslim. After that, you come and we help you to learn how to pray, what you need to do, what should you say in prayer, and you start to do things after that gradually. But the first thing, the starting point, is the person says, I accept that there is only one God, only one who should be worshipped, who has no father or son. And I accept Muhammad, may Allah's peace and blessings be upon him, as the last of the prophets, of the line of the prophets, including Prophet Jesus, Moses, Abraham, and Adam. that clear? Well, we said a Muslim is one who believes in one God. Actually, what you said was one Allah. So this is actually a contradiction in terms. Because Allah means the one God. So you're saying we believe in the one, one God. No. You say we believe in Allah. Allah is just the Arabic word which means the one true God who alone deserves to be worshipped. Whether you call, for example, in Korea, they have a term, Hanonim, which means one God. And this God, before the coming of the Christians, when Christians came there, then they told the people that this God, Hanonim, was really Jesus. And they got them off the track. But the original belief in Hanonim, and I see my sister here from Korea, she can confirm this. This belief, Hananim, is one God who is not a part of the creation, who is the creator, and so on. So, exactly as we described Allah, the earth, the Koreans described God in this fashion. This is why we know that a prophet was sent to Korea, who we don't know what his name is anymore, 
But the basic teaching that he gave is still there. It can still be found. So, Allah is just an Arabic term. As long as you accept the concept, whether you call God Allah or Hanonim or Yahweh by different names, as long as you're talking about the one God alone who deserves to be worshipped, then that is the true God. Muslim is one who submits to that God, the one true God. As a terrorist, a terrorist is a person is who puts terror in the hearts of people by committing acts which go against human nature, what people accept as acceptable, as allowable. A person who would put a bomb on an airplane and blow up killing innocent women and children and so forth. This is a terrorist. This in Islam is totally prohibited. To take the life, you know, for Islam there are laws for everything. There are laws concerning war. And in the laws concerning war it is prohibited for a Muslim soldier to take the life of another person who is not carrying arms against them. To go and take the life of a woman or a child or an old man or a priest or whatever, just just going and killing people left and right, putting bombs in, no, prohibited. This is prohibited. However, we have in uh, fairly recent times a struggle which developed concerning the state of Israel. Palestinian people, their lands were occupied, a state established itself by Zionist, Zionist Jews who called the state the state of Israel and they obtained this state by terrorism, by putting bombs in the barracks of the British soldiers and, and bombing the homes of the Arab people who were there and chasing them out of their, their lands. They took it by force, by terrorism. And some of the uh, Palestinian people decided to treat, to, to resist against them in a similar life by bombing and so on and so on. But the fact that they are treating them the same way they, treated, they were treated, this in Islam is not allowed. It is wrong, because the people who we know as Palestinians, Arabs, people assume that these are all Muslims, but this is not the case. Arabs, amongst these people you have some, some who are communists, some of the leaders of the PLO are Christians, and some call themselves to be Muslims. But those who would put a bomb in a, an airliner, if that person called themselves to be a Muslim, they would be a Muslim only in name. Because that act is not sanctioned by Islam in any way, shape, or form. That is prohibited. So what has happened is that the news media has taken the idea of Arab and the bombings which have taken place in these, play, in these uh, airplanes, etc., and linked it up with Islam and identified it as being Muslims who are committing these crimes. But in fact, this, these type of acts are totally prohibited in Islam. It is true. The law of retribution, the eye for the eye, the tooth for the tooth. This is the law of Moses. This is the law of the Quran also. But what that means is not that if I go and kill your son, you can come and kill my son. No, that's not how the law operates. If I kill, I am killed. So if some, you come and kill my son, I do not get back at you. The law does not come into effect by me killing your son. No, your son is innocent. 
You are the one who did the killing, so you are the one who should die. So there is no justification. If, if Jews use terrorist means against uh, Arabs or against Muslims, Muslims are not allowed to use those same means against them. They can only fight according to the laws which have been described by God. And that is against those who fight against them directly. Okay. Truly, because the vast majority of what we call religions today originally were brought by prophets of God, prophets who were sent to the people. They brought teachings which were teachings that were the same, teachings of good, calling people to do good. This is the essence of religion. But in time, the full teachings of the prophets were lost, but certain things remained. The idea of not killing people, not stealing, not committing adultery, these kind of principles continue to remain because these principles were obvious to human beings. Society cannot function if you allow murder to take place freely, people to kill each other, to steal from each other. No, these things have to be uh, stopped. These are part of the teachings. Now, these have remained, and these are the same. Communists teach similar things. You shouldn't kill people and so on. They deny the existence of God altogether. So, the issue is not whether they all teach the same thing or not, because in terms of good. Because this level of good, this is from the prophets of God, and we all agree on this. However, there is one level of evil, of bad, which can outweigh all the good, and that is to worship someone other than God. So though they all may talk about some good, and even Satan, when Satan comes to man, when an evil person comes to you and tries to get you to be involved in evil, they're not going to come to you with pure evil. They're going to come with some good. So you'll say, yeah, that looks good. But there are evil things behind it. You see, this, the good is like, is like the worm on the hook of the fisherman. You know, he wants to catch a fish. If he threw the hook in the water, you think the fish is going to go and bite that hook? No. He must put a worm on it, which looks food. So the fish bites it. Then he gets the hook. That is how it is. The fact that there is some good, it does not outweigh the great evil. The greatest sin, the greatest evil, the greatest bad is to worship other than God. So the equality, though, there is an equality in calling to good. The calling to evil, to, to the worst evil, outweighs the similarity in calling to good. Because a Christian could easily say a communist who denies the existence of God but is doing good is not going to paradise. So just the fact that the communism says good, do good, don't kill, don't steal, so and so, this is not ultimate good. This is not enough to inherit paradise. So in the same way, when we go from religion to religion, we find that though they may all call to good, at the same time they call to the greatest evil, worshipping God's creation instead of worshipping the Creator.
behind it, what is the rationale behind it. This is what we wanted to spend much of the uh, open discussion you know, concerned. But before going into the open discussion, I would spend a few minutes just giving you what is the core concept of Islam. What is the most important concept, the most important belief which makes Islam different from all of the other religions that we find around the world. And when we look around the world, there are many. There are no end of religions. For each people, for each place, there exists religion. And each and every religion claims that it is the correct religion and it is the only true religion of God. A human being is born in a circumstance not by his or her own making. We don't choose the parents to whom we will be born. We are just born in a circumstance. And whatever we grew up believing, it is a result of the environment, our family, our community, that we find ourselves in. However, this environment or this community may be following the true religion of God, or it may not be. And we are held responsible by God to find out what, in fact, is the true religion. It is the duty of each and every human being to search, to research, and to find out for himself or herself what, in fact, is the true religion of God, to make sure that the path that we are following is the path that God has, in fact, ordained for us. This is what we have to be certain of. And for us to make any research or search, we have to do so with an open mind. We can't do it from a point of emotion. We have to do it using our intellect. Allah, God, the creator of the universe, has given us an intellect that we could look and read and hear and determine for ourselves what is right and what is wrong. The animals around us have no choice. They, fo they follow whatever path they follow by instinct. They are, they are driven by their own emotions. They just follow whatever circumstance they find themselves in. They do not have the ability to choose between what is right and what is wrong. So they are not accountable to God. We as human beings, we are accountable to God. And we are accountable because of the fact that we have been given the ability to choose. We have been given the ability to understand to research, to search, to find out for ourselves. We have that ability. So, it is our duty. Those of us that are here in this country, who have been given an opportunity here to find out something of the culture, the people, and their beliefs. It is the duty of each and every one of us to find out. Those of us who do not, uh, who do not follow the religion and the culture of this uh, country, it is our duty, we are here, God has brought us here, it is not really by our own choosing, it is by the destiny of God, which is why, why we're here. 
So since God's destiny has brought us here, it is our duty to try to find out something of what the beliefs of these people are and compare it to our own beliefs. And we should also search our own beliefs and look at them rationally using our intelligence to determine what is right and what is wrong. So, I would just like to present here the basic concept, as I said, that Islam holds unique to itself. And that is the concept of God, the concept of God as being the only unique being in this world. That God, the creator of this universe, who sustains and looks after the whole universe, this God has no partner, has no father, mother, son or daughter, uncle, grandfathers, etc. Human beings have sons and daughters, brothers and sisters. Animals have sons and daughters, brothers and sisters. But God is unique. His attributes are totally different from the attributes of His creation. He is infinite. We are finite. We have a beginning. We have an end. He has no beginning and He has no end. When I say that God is unique, that He is one, it is one in the fullest and purest possible sense. Not one, as I would say, I have one cup of water. Because if I say I have one cup of water, my friend next to me can also have one cup of water. This is not the one when we talk about the oneness of God. We're talking about one who has no similarity. There is no one like him in this world. The world is his creation. And because he is the only creator of this world, then whatever takes place in this creation is according to his will. It means that every human being who raises his hands or bows down in prayer, it is that God the Creator alone who answers the prayers. So it means that that God is the only one who should be prayed to. Praying to one God. He is the only one who deserves to be prayed to because He is the only one who can answer prayer. So when we look at an individual who is worshipping an idol, and you have people who worship idols made of stone or of brass or iron. You have people who worship trees. You have people who worship cows. People who worship many different things. And all the people who worship these different things, they all believe that these things are God. And everyone who worships these things, when they worship, some of their prayers are answered. Because if when a person prayed to a tree, his or her prayers were never answered, then that person would not continue praying to the tree. We can easily look at that form of worship when we see a poor person praying to a tree. We say, oh, what a poor person. They are misguided. 
Well, that poor person will tell you, my prayers were answered. If my prayers weren't answered, I wouldn't be praying to the tree. But we know that it is not the tree that is answering the prayer. Our human intelligence can tell us that. We can cut that tree down and it becomes dead, it becomes useless. So it could not be possibly answering the prayers of people. It is a part of this creation. But if you go from the tree to the stone, there is no difference. The one who's praying to the stone, his prayers are answered, her prayers are answered also. But is it the stone that's answering the prayer? No. Is the one who's praying to the cow, or to the monkey, or to an elephant, and prayers are answered when they pray, is it the cow, monkey, or elephant answering the prayer? Of course not. It's God. And if one prays to a man, if one prays to a man, and prayers are answered, it is not the man who is answering the prayer. There is no difference, really, between praying to a cow or praying to a man, in the sense that God created man and God created the cow. It is God who answers the prayer. If you call a man God, that does not make him God. If he was born, he can't be God, because God is not born. If he was killed, in your belief, then that couldn't be God, because God cannot be killed. God is the creator of the universe. He is not born, he does not die. He is not a man, nor is he a cow, nor is he a stone or a tree. He is the great creator of man, the cow, the stone, and the tree. So only that one God alone deserves to be worshipped. And that God does not appear in his creation in any way. Because if we say that God becomes man, then it means that God is taking on the attributes of man, which are finite, which makes him less than God. He's no longer God. If you say that God can do anything, as some people may say, okay, God can do anything, why couldn't he become a man? When we say God can do anything, it means God can do anything which is in keeping with him being God. Because if you can say God can do anything and you mean just anything, like he could be not a God, then you can say, okay, it could mean that God could not exist. Or God could die. Or God could make a stone which is too heavy for him to lift. But these are all ridiculous ideas because God is the greatest. God is greater than his creation and he does not become his creation. He does not become less than himself. Man is capable of attaining salvation by turning back to God. God does not need an intermediary between himself and man. He is the creator and anything that he wishes is. If you seek God, you turn to God directly and he will answer your prayers. If you have done wrong, you turn to God directly, and God can forgive you. But you have to turn sincerely. 
So this is the unique idea which Islam holds, which is different from all of the other teachings, all of the other religions around on the earth. Because it is only in Islam that man worships God alone. He does not worship God's creation in any way, shape, or form. It is only in Islam. And this Islam that we're talking about is not something which was brought new by Prophet Muhammad, may God's peace and blessings be upon him. No. Prophet Muhammad, may God's peace and blessings be upon him, brought the same message which was brought by Jesus. May God's peace and blessings be upon him. Which was brought by Moses. May God's peace and blessings be upon him. By Abraham and by Adam. All of the prophets of God called their people, told their people about Islam. Islam meaning submission to the will of God. Islam is not the name of a person. It is the name of the central principle of the religion. Submission of man's will to the will of God. This is what Islam means. One who does so is a Muslim. Whether he was or she was in the time of Abraham, Moses, Jesus, or Adam, whoever submits their will to God according to the teachings of the prophets, as they taught them, that person is a Muslim. So this was the basic thought that I wanted to express to you as a means of opening up the floor for some discussion concerning the principles and the concepts of Islam. A discussion which should be not an emotional discussion, one where we're looking at things practically, looking at things with our intelligence, not our emotions. Just, if you have any questions, write them down on the paper, send them up, or if you'd like to stand up and ask your question, ask any question you'd like to ask. And, you know, uh, sister, when somebody is talking, it is impolite for you to be talking whilst the person is talking. If you'd like to speak, an opportunity will be given to you. You can stand and speak or write any question you have, you know. But just, I'm here to try to share with you what I have found to, to help you to understand something about Islam, not to make you Muslims. I'm not here trying to convert you to Islam. This is not the purpose. The purpose here is only to make the idea and the concept of Islam uh, explained in such a way that you may be able to understand what are the beliefs. If you are interested in them, you want to find out more, then more information will be provided for you, you can go ahead and continue to search. If you're not interested, you find that it doesn't make sense, it's not interesting to you, so say, it's up to you. There is no compulsion, there is no pressure, this is only a, a, an opportunity given to you to find out something since you are here in this uh, circumstance by God's destiny. As I said, all prophets were Muslim. This meant that all prophets called to the same teachings. If a person thinks that Muslim means 
a follower of Muhammad, may God's peace and blessings be upon him, then of course, all prophets and the people who follow those prophets were not followers of Muhammad, may God's peace and blessings be upon him. But what he taught, what he called people to, was the same thing that all of the prophets before him called the people to. When we look into the teachings, if we look into the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, what these Ten Commandments entail, what were the followers of Moses told to do, we'll find that essentially what they were told to do was to submit their will to the will of God. They were to worship God. The purpose of man's creation is to worship God. Jesus himself worshipped God. Jesus prayed. When he prayed and he worshipped, he was showing, demonstrating to people that he was not God, that he was a servant of God. And as he said, that it is not as he wills, but as his Father wills. He taught people to pray, Our, our Father who art in heaven, how will be thy name? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The will of God should be done on earth. We should submit ourselves to the will of God as the angels of heaven submit themselves to God. And this you will find in the words of all of the earlier prophets, whether it's Abraham, you know, from, uh, of Jacob, all of the prophets were calling people to worship God. And this is even amongst prophets whom we don't know of. Because when we go into religions around the world, we go into Buddhism, Hinduism, you know, Confucianism, all the various isms that are around the world, people are involved in worshipping what they believe to be God. And this is the result of teachings which has reached them. However, those teachings have not remained pure as they were brought by the prophets who came to those people. It got distorted in time. People like to believe in something they can see, they can touch, they can feel. You know, this is the nature of man, that it's easier for him to relate to something he can see and touch. The prophets came to explain to people that God is not among the things you see and touch. This is why belief is called faith. Because faith is in something that you cannot see and touch. You believe in it. You have evidence, but it's not something you can put your finger on. So, prophets were there to explain to the people that God, who was unseen, was there. He is the one who created the universe, and it is He who we should worship. Not anything that we make of our own hands, any images, you know, any parts of His creation. This is not God. God created it all. We should worship God. This is the message of all the prophets, those that we know of in the uh, scriptures, as well as those that are in, you know, the uh, books of India, China, Africa, wherever. You will find that people are called there to worship God. However, the concept of God became distorted. So people found it easier to relate to a tree, or a stone, or a cow, a monkey, or a man, 
It was easier in the minds of the people. But these ideas were brought to the people by the forces of evil. The forces of evil led by an individual who we know as Satan. He is the one, and those who follow his path, who call people away from the worship of God to the worship of God's creation. Because this is the greatest sin that man can commit. It is greater than adultery, murder, fornication, rape, stealing. All of these are big sins, and they're very bad. But the worst sin that a human being can commit is to worship someone other than God. Because if the purpose of our creation is to worship God, then if we worship someone who is not God, we worship God's creation instead of the Creator, then that is the biggest error that we can make. Because we are destroying the very purpose of our creation. Any questions? Some of you have been writing. Would you like to pass? Wait a minute, please. Can you just see if there's somebody from this side? We don't want to have the questions monopolized. Because, yes, please. Okay. First, let me say that if you don't believe that Jesus is God, then you are not a Christian according to the teachings of Christianity. Let me just say this first, right? And that's fine. I mean, I don't have any problem with that. Because uh, as far as the actual teachings of Christ were, if we are to look at them carefully, we can see that he was not telling people he was God. However, the most, the majority of Christianity today does believe that Jesus is God. Because the basis of the belief is in the Trinity. And I'm saying this, I know you might say, oh, he doesn't know. I was born and raised a Christian. My father, my grandfather was a, a church scholar a minister and a church scholar. I, was, I have understood what Christianity was. I grew up as a Christian. And I have studied Christianity in depth also. And I'm saying this not an idea which is coming from me, but something if you can find out yourself, if you go and open any encyclopedia and read what is Christianity, it will explain to you very clearly that the basis of Christianity is that God had has three existences or three manifestations. This is called the Trinity. And it's referred to as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three gods in one. This is the called the, the uh, at, at Nicaea in 325 AD, the Christian leaders from Rome and from Greece put this idea forward to be the correct belief concerning God. There were other Christians of Egypt and of Palestine who believed at that time that there was no Trinity, God was one. However, 
they were defeated in the Council of Nicaea. So we have what is known as the Nicene Creed. And this is the basis of Christianity. The Nicene Creed, which teaches we believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, three gods in one. That is the belief. So it means that the Christians as a whole, according to what Christianity is understood today, it believes that Jesus is God. Okay? He is the Son of God, but He is God. Because when you say God the Father, God the Son, three gods in one, it means God the Son is also God the Father. God the Holy Spirit is also God the Son and the Father. This is what it means. See, what happens to a lot of people in Christianity is that they really don't understand what the teachings actually are. Most people don't even read the Bible. You know, the minister, he comes, he tells them a few things from here and there, and they listen to that and they go with that. And they really don't understand what the actual teachings are. So I said that you have to research. You have to go and read and find out what, in fact, is the teachings of Christianity. And if you find that Christianity teaches that Jesus was God and you don't believe it, then it means you're not a Christian. Then it means you must go and find the religion which teaches that Jesus was created and sent by God and he was not God. That's what it means. The point though, what you asked about Islam. Islam is mentioned in the Quran itself. The Quran is the book of revelation which came to Prophet Muhammad, may God's peace and blessings be upon him, in the uh, 7th century. And it is stated in there that the religion with God is Islam. Now, of course, you will say, well, it's not in the Bible. Fine. But it is in this book of Revelation. I would then ask you, can you find anywhere in the Bible where Jesus said, your religion is Christianity? No. This name was made up by people. Can you find anywhere in the Bible where Moses said, your religion is Judaism? No. This name was made up by people. It was named after the tribe of Judah. You see? But this is not in the Bible. I would then ask you, what was the religion of Abraham? It couldn't have been Christianity. It couldn't have been Judaism. What was the religion of Abraham? His religion was submission to God, worshipping God. And when you translate that, I'm speaking English, when you translate that into Arabic, that means Islam. Islam means submission to the will of God. But this name, as I said to you, is not one which people made up. It wasn't Muslims later on, you know, people, Arabs or whatever, they made up this name, they say, okay, we're going to call ourselves Islam, our religion Islam. No, this is in the book of Revelation itself. And one who submits himself to the will of God, in Arabic he's called Muslim. I know in English we expect when a person follows Judaism, he's called Jewish. 
if he follows Christianity, is called Christian. You know, these you adding changes at the end of the word, this means one who follows it. But in Arabic, it is different. Like you have, you hear of jihad. Jihad means they translate as holy war, fighting for the sake of God. It's called jihad. One who fights is called, for the sake of God, is called in Arabic, mujahid. So you hear of in Afghanistan, the people who were fighting against the Russians, they're called mujahideen. So in Arabic, when you want to indicate someone is uh, following this or doing this, you put a prefix. You put mu. And this is what, uh, how you do it. So Islam, the person who submits his will to God, is called a Muslim. And this is in the Quran. And it describes Jacob as referring to himself as Muslim, as Abraham referring to himself as Muslim. It is described in the Quran in this way. That Jesus, what he taught was Islam, submission to the will of God. So the name comes in the book of Revelation itself, called the Quran. And it doesn't matter. If you had, if your language, for example, in uh, Tagalog, if you spoke Tagalog, your language, you had a word in Tagalog which means submission to the will of God. And you said, this is my religion. That's it. No problem. Arabic is Islam. If you translate it to another language, it's still meaning the same thing. The, the, the religion of God is submission to the will of God. This is the true religion of God. Does that explain? Okay, before I take written questions, uh, could you, um, anybody else wanted to ask a question directly? I want to give first opportunity to those people to whom this is primarily directed. Their opportunity, you know, as I said, I don't want to stop you off from asking questions. If nobody here wants to ask any questions, okay, we can go ahead, you know. But you all here, this is your chance. You see, you find out by asking. You know, as it says in the Bible, knock and it shall be open unto you. Knock. You knock here means you ask a question. If you have anything in your mind, anything you'd like to ask, ask. Concerning Islam, concerning Muslims, anything about it. Concerning religion, concerning Christianity, ask it. Don't feel shy. Don't think that if you ask anything, you might lose your job because one of the directors is here and he's going to make note of your name. No, please. I promise you, I promise you that any of the directors who are here, they are in full support of this uh, discussion and they want you to ask anything which is on your mind. The, the Bible and the Quran, the, the books, the basic revelation, the basic teachings of the prophets is no different. You will find what the prophets taught in terms of God, man worshipping God, submitting to God, you know, um, giving charity, you know, prohibiting adultery and all the crimes that were taught by the prophets, you know, this you will find also in the Quran. However, the main difference is that the Quran, this book of Revelation, revealed 1400 years ago, has remained exactly as it, as it was revealed, unchanged. 
means no man has added anything to it, no man has taken away anything from it. So when you read it, it is just God speaking to you directly. But when we look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, what we find there are the accounts of people. People are writing, human beings are writing, many stories in there, many things which contradict each other, you know, contradictions, things which have been taken out. If you read, look at the different Bibles from the time of the King James Version, you look at the, you know, Revised Standard Version of the Bible, the Catholic Version, which has more books than the Protestant Version, and, you know, the Eastern Orthodox Version, and each version you find all these changes. In some of them you read in the bottom, they say we've taken out these verses, we've taken out those verses. You'll see all kinds of things, so you can see that this something is the work of man here. This is not God's revelation. It has something of God's revelation in it, but much of it is the work of man. And so you will find in it some things which are attributed to the prophets, which we could never imagine a prophet of God would do. If we say a prophet of God, who is a prophet of God? One who was sent by God amongst the people to guide them to the path of God, to show them how to live a righteous life, bring the revelation which was revealed from God to them, and to demonstrate in their own lives how to live according to the laws of God. This is a prophet of God. But when you read in the Old Testament, you will find stories in there about the prophets which I would be very shy to tell my own children. Terrible stories. Stories like the story of Lot. How his two daughters got him drunk and he committed incest with them and had children by them. Terrible stories. And this is just one. There are many others. This is not from God. This is man writing in there. You will find, for example, concerning interest. In the Old Testament, the Jews have written in there that you may not take interest from your brothers, from other Jews, but you may take it from the Gentiles. No. But this is not the law of God. The law of God is if interest is bad, it should not be taken from anyone. But you see, they changed the books, the writings, to suit themselves. The God is called the God of Israel, their own personal God. He's the Lord God of Israel. Everybody else, he's not their God. So these kind of things are things which have been changed by man. But the essential teachings, when you go back and see what did Moses, the Ten Commandments, what did they say? You'll find those same Ten Commandments, the basic ideas, they're all there in the Quran. They're all there taught in Islam. Uh, one question, written question. If from Adam to Muhammad they brought the same message, the message of one God, why the different religions came about? As I explained, when the prophets came and showed the people the right way, sometimes the people rejected the messages. And those who rejected the messages, of course, they went astray. When Jesus came to the people of Israel and they rejected the message which he brought to them, it means they went astray. 
What happened, those who followed the Prophet, they remained on the right path. But after their time, you know, other people who came after them, they began to make changes through the workings of Satan. They began to make changes. So this is why you find today that what Jesus did, a Christian who believes that he is a follower of Christ, if you look into the life of a Christian, are they following what Christ did? Jesus did not eat pork. How many of you don't eat pork? I mean, how many of you who consider yourself a Christian do not eat pork? Very few. One hand. Two hands. Very few. The majority of Christians today eat pork. But Jesus didn't eat pork. So it means that you're not following the way of Jesus. He said he was the way. Didn't he say, according to what is written in the New Testament, that he is the way, but you are not following his way? It also says, in the Bible, in the New Testament, it also says that Jesus, when he was with his companions in the Garden of Gethsemane, it says he went up further and fell on his face in prayer. This book which was handed out to you, which says what? Huh? This white book it is in your hand. Yes. If you open it up in the beginning there, it mentions and tells you where exactly in the New Testament you can find Jesus described as falling on his face and prayer, in prayer. That also Moses did the same thing. Aaron did the same thing. David did the same thing. The prophets prayed by falling on their face in prayer. The only person we see doing that today amongst Christians is the Pope. If you see a picture of him when he's going on his airplane, before he goes on the airplane, he makes prostration. He goes on the airplane. When he comes off, he makes prostration. But nobody else does it. So what happened? If Jesus was the way, and he fell on his face in prayer, how many of you who call yourselves Christians fall on your face in prayer? Any hands? No hands. So what happened to the way? You see, that way is preserved in Islam. All Muslims fall on their face in prayer. All Muslims do not eat pork. Ask Jesus. This is what you must first ask. Is ask Jesus, you know. I can tell you what I know. I can tell you what I know. But the first person you should ask is Jesus. Why didn't Jesus eat pork? Because he said he didn't come to break the law. He didn't come to change that law which was given, the law of Moses. He followed the same law. It is the law of God. God revealed to man that he should not eat pork. It is a sin. Of course, if you disobey God, this is what sin is. What is sin? Sin is disobedience of God. So if God says don't eat pork and you're going to eat pork, then you are sinning. I mean, it's not... It is, there are different levels of sin, of course, right? 
So it is not like the big, big, big sin, okay? It's one of the other sins, but it's still sin. It's still sin. And if we want to enter paradise, if we want to inherit paradise, then we must obey God. This is what we must do. So, I'll just explain a little bit about pork, okay? But the thing is, I think, this is what you have been told. This is what you have been told. But what you need to read it again. You need to read it again. Because one, Jesus is not recorded in the Bible as eating pork. And those people who study the history of Christianity, they will tell you that the early followers of Jesus, they call them what? Judeo-Christians. They continue to follow the Judaic laws, the Mosaic laws. The laws which said that eating pork is prohibited. The early Christians still continue to do that. And furthermore, you even have one sect in Christianity called the Seventh Days Adventists. These are people are following the same New Testament that you're following, and they all prohibit pork. So if it is so clear in your book that eating pork is, is allowed, how it is that they are taking the same book and saying it is prohibited? See, so I'm saying that you need to look at it again. Because when Jesus, when Jesus took the evil spirits out of the people who were possessed, where did they go? Into the pigs. They went into the pigs. This is part of the science for you. You understand? Why didn't they go into the dogs? They went into the, they went into the pigs. You understand? So, the point is that the law of Moses, as Jesus said, he did not come to break that law. He didn't come to change the law. He followed the same law. People after his time, they're the ones who changed the law. The pig is prohibited because it is harmful to man. It is harmful to man biologically, psychologically, and spiritually. We may not be able to pick out and point out for you exactly how it is harmful. But God who made man and he made the pig, he told us don't eat the pig because it is harmful. Because God did not prohibit things just because he felt like it. You know, just, I'll just make things, life difficult for man. Okay, you can't eat the pig. You can eat this, but you can't. No, this is not the way of God. God is a just God. God is a wise God. So the things that he has prohibited are the things which are harmful. Now, if a person from that time, because obviously we only found out about hypnosis after we discovered the microscope, you know, in the 17th century, you know, later on we found out what these diseases were caused by, so we now find out hypnosis. We as believers in God, we as people obedient to God, we don't have to find out why God has prohibited something for us in detail? We believe that what he has prohibited is for our benefit. So we don't wait until we find out and then we do it. You understand? 
So those true believers who followed the commandments of God from the time of Moses and before Moses to the time of Jesus to, to the time of Muhammad, they got peace and blessings beyond all of them, all through this time, they saved themselves from trichnosis. Also in more modern times, we find out people who have problems, you know, of cholesterol and heart, hardening of the arteries and deposits of fatty deposits. One of the first things the doctors tell them, give up pork. And then you have to look at the pig. You have to look at the pig. You know, some people say, well, a kidney tastes sweet. And I know for Muslims, you know, Muslims, especially people who have grown up as Muslims, who have never eaten pork 